look in Psalms, they'll put it on the screen for us, 133. Share just a, a few thoughts further before we go. Psalm 133 has been our main text on our series that we're calling uh, the Ministry of Reconciliation. Now, if you hadn't been with us, we're into, I think this is like the 11th session or so. So we've covered a lot of ground already getting up to this point. Would encourage you to uh, pick up the previous messages. The easiest, quickest way is to go online and you can watch it, listen to it or download it. It won't cost you anything. Or if you want a hard copy, a disc, or that kind of thing, you can get it at the Word Supply. Again, it won't, won't cost you anything, no charge. But this is one of, the, one of the big emphasis in the New Testament. It, this is why Jesus came. That doesn't get much bigger than that. Was to restore us to fellowship and union with God. That's what the word reconciliation means. It means to those that were enemies or at odds to restore them at one again. In uh, Psalm 133, it describes unity. It says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Brethren. You know, uh, if you can walk in love at home, you can walk in love anywhere, right? <laughs> right? Because it's easy to say, you know, I love you, or somebody you never see. You're never around and you don't really know them. But people that you're around day in, day out, and, and everybody's got flesh, um, that's where the challenge comes in. But he's talking about brethren dwelling together in unity. It's like the precious ointment on the head that ran down on the beard, even Aaron's beard, went down to the skirts of his garments. Is there a connection between unity and anointing? Yes. Yes. Do you remember in the New Testament, book of Acts, more than once, it talked about when they were in one place, one mind, one accord, then amazing manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Unity is a factor. Well, if unity is a factor in the manifestation of the Holy Spirit, what would strife and fussing and fighting be? It would be a hindrance to the manifestation of the Holy Spirit, but it would facilitate the manifestation of the enemy. If you look in James 3, we talked about that some time back. Strife is the manifested presence of the devil. Now that's a big statement, but it is. Have you ever walked into a place or into a room where people had been having so-called knockdown, drag-out fight or just yelling and screaming at each other and fussing? Even if you didn't hear the fight, you can walk in there and feel it, can't you? Well, what are you feeling? It's not a physical feeling. What are you feeling? It's a manifested presence. Well, it's not the presence of God. Because his presence is peace and life and light. Well, what, what presence are you sensing? It's the enemy. It's the enemy. We don't want that in our house or a place of work or our church, do we? He said it's like the dew of Hermon. 
And as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. He mentions unity. He mentions anointing. He mentions blessing. They go together. There are numerous reasons why the New Testament commandment is to love one another like he loved us. Look in 2 Corinthians, the 5th chapter. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. He said, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Actually, it could be translated creation. He's a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now, this is obviously not externally. Because the day after you got born again, you looked just like you did in the mirror, right? (laughs) The day before. This is talking about internally. First Peter talks about the inner man, well, Second Corinthians does, and First Peter talks about the hidden man of the heart. There's an inner man, there's an outer man. It's a very good thing to remind yourself of frequently that this is not you. This is the house you live in. Come on, say it out loud. My body, My body is not me. It's the house. I live in. in. And when you die, if the Lord tears is coming uh, a little while and you live out your life, you will leave this house. But you'll still be you. You won't lose your mind. You won't lose your faculties. You'll just slip out of this house and go to be with the Lord if you're a believer. And uh, the Bible tells us that the Lord's coming back and this house is going to be changed. And glorified, and you're going to get it back. Fixed. <laughs> but it still is not just you, it's, it's your uh, house. Your brain is not your mind. Your brain is the physical organ your mind functions through. Your mind's part of your spirit being that you can't see. You can see a, a, a brain, you can't see a mind. You can see a body, you can't see a spirit. But you are a spirit. You have a mind and a soul. And you live in a body. Hmm? Uh Do you good to remember this? You you see Christians that should know better. Going out to the cemetery to talk to loved ones. What's wrong with that? They're not there, honey. (laughs) They're not there. They left that house. They are not there. No. And if you believe the Bible and you know what's true true and right, they're a believer and you're a believer, you'll see them again real soon. They're in good shape. Better than you. The Bible says to depart and meet with Christ is far better than being here. No, this house is not them. And it's not you. But, uh, and how do we get into that? All things are passed away. Inside. All things have become new. Inside. All things are of God who's, who's reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Now reconciliation means to, to get back together. They were at odds. There had been a falling out. Maybe even enemies. 
But God's will is that those who were his enemies be made one with him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And this has been made possible by the sacrifice of Jesus. He took our place. It says, and you know, once we've been reconciled, we immediately then have a ministry. Not, not just preachers. Every believer has the ministry of helping somebody else get with God. Become one with Him. He goes on to say, God was in Christ, reconciling the world to Himself, not imputing their trespasses to Him, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. Now that also lets you know that even though the Lord has done the work, that doesn't mean it's already done in everybody's life. They have to receive what he's done. If they were already reconciled to God based only on what Jesus has done, we wouldn't have a ministry. There would be no need for us to say, be reconciled to God, because there already would be. Somebody said, well, grace has already taken care of that. Yeah, but grace doesn't receive for you. It has been bought. It has been paid for. But you must receive him for yourself. And you must receive the washing and cleansing by the blood. You must receive the new birth, becoming a new creature, and accept that you want to be reconciled to God. If you don't want to believe in God, if you don't care about it, then you won't be, even though Jesus has paid for it, you won't experience it because you refuse to receive it. How many are thankful you didn't refuse to receive it? By the grace of God, we have received Him. And we are not at odds with God. We have been made one with Him. Hallelujah. We're, we're in fellowship with Him. Thank you, Lord. Uh, go with me, please, to the book of, uh, oh, there's so many things here. Um, go to Genesis 13, please. Genesis 13, 1, Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife, all that he had, and Lot was with him into the south. We're going to read the next eight verses or so. Abram was very rich in cattle. Lest you just say, well, he was spiritually rich. No, he had cows <laughs> and silver and gold. Now, help me out, church. Who, who gave this to him? God. God. When did God change? He said, no, I, you know, I made Abraham rich and Isaac and Jacob and, and Joseph and Daniel and, and uh, David and Solomon, but, you know, I changed, and now I don't want you to have. When did that happen? When did God change? Men have goofy ideas, but God didn't change. Abram was very, not just rich, very rich. Have you noticed in the New Testament, you're called the seed of Abraham. Did you know that? And that his blessing is yours. Did you know that or not? Well, why wouldn't the blessing do in, in Missouri or Florida, wherever you are, what it did for him back then. Has the blessing lost its power and effectiveness? Abram was very rich. <laughs> I know some folks don't like that, but it is Bible, you know. Very rich in cattle and silver and gold. Keep reading. 
He went on his journeys from the south to Bethel, to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Hai, to the place of the altar which he had made there at the first, and there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Lot also, which went with Abraham, Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. You know, Phyllis said earlier, it makes a difference who you're hooked with. Well, she's scriptural. I mean, that's right. Makes a difference who you hang around. Lot was with, see, very significant every word in the scriptures. Lot also, which went with Abraham. Why did it bring up that he went with him and he was with him? When it goes to mention his stuff. Because if he hadn't have been with him, he wouldn't have had the stuff. Flocks, herds, tents, keep going. And the land was not able to bear them that they might dwell together, for their substance was great so that they could not dwell together. God will absolutely give you too much stuff. It is His will. He will give you good measure, shaken together, pressed down rather, running over. Right? He will cause your cup to run over. Will He or not? The land couldn't hold them. Verse 7. And there was what? Strife. Strife. Between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle. Now you got to remember, they're out in dry, arid places. Water is like gold. In, in numerous places, it's worth more than money. And uh, so the big thing, you got all these cows, they need a lot of water. And Canaanite and Perizzite dwelled in the land. And Abram said to Lot, let there be no strife, I pray you. Now he's the elder. Lot wouldn't have anything if it wasn't for his connection with him. But here he comes, I pray thee, is asking. Ask, he's asking the younger, Lot. He said, uh, please, we got to stop this strife. We, we cannot have this strife. Now the reason I'm reading it, Abraham is lifted up to us as a godly example and as, the, as a father of faith. We want to operate in a godly way. We want to operate like Abraham. Look at the lengths he was willing to go to stop the strife. He initiated it. He didn't just sit in his tent of course, he's got a palatial tent. He's very rich. But he didn't just sit there and fume. And when the uh, herd, herdsman would come in and say, lots of herds got there before we did. And they drank up the water and they ate the grass. And, and we had to go another 30 miles to find some pasture. And, and he didn't just sit there and get aggravated and aggravated. And then finally come and explode on Lot. What did he say? He said, look, we're brothers. We cannot have this strife. I pray you. Keep, keep reading. You know, uh, James talks about that godly wisdom is pure, is peaceable, it's easy to be entreated. If you were around Abram, and you'll see him one of these days, you're going to like him a lot. <laughs> you know who he's like? 
<laughs> like God. He's like, the, he's like the Father, like the Lord. Uh, but you'll find him to be very easy to be around. You'll find him kind. You'll find him, you know, we see even way back then, how far he was willing to go to have peace and unity and what he was willing to sacrifice to get it and keep it. He said, I, let, let there be no strife, I pray you, between us uh, and between our herdsmen. You, you know, you, where, whichever way you go, the people under you, that's the way they'll go too. And if you're anxious and agitated, don't be shocked when you see that they are. Because it all flows down from, from the head. And, you, and if you try to say, well, I'm not talking, I mean, my people are talking about them, but, but I'm not talking about them. You're letting it happen. You're allowing it. Let there be no strife, I pray you, between me and you, between my herdmen and your herdmen, because we're, we're brethren. Verse 9. He said, it's not the whole land before you. Separate yourself, I pray you, asking, I pray you, from me. If you take the left hand, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Here is the richest, most powerful man in the region. He's the elder. He's got a personal covenant with God. God calls him buddy. Friend. Is that right? But this is how godly people are. He didn't come in demanding, forcing, going to sue you. What, what does this mean for his herds and his flocks? Should, could he have some natural concerns? Yeah. But if you have faith, you believe that no matter what other people do, and if it seems like they're taking advantage of you, you still believe you're going to come out on top. Because God's bigger than everybody. And, and if you have faith, you're, you're convinced God's going to take care of me. So he said, you, you, you go that way, I'll go the other. You pick. This is gracious. This is magnanimous. This, this is faith. This is godly. What lengths was he willing to go to? To stop the strife. And to get and keep unity. And peace. He was willing to sacrifice I reckon if he'd have had to cut his herds in half because he didn't have the water, he's ready to do that. How many believe Abraham was ready to back up what he said? Yeah. Is he ready to do whatever he has to do, whatever it costs him? He's not a dumb man. He knows this can cost him initially maybe, but he also believes that God can provide for him. If you read the rest of the story, the Lord showed him where water was. He dug new wells. Hallelujah. But keep reading. The Bible said, uh, uh, verse 10, Lot lifted up his eyes, beheld all the plain of Jordan. It was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah were big bustling cities and they were lush and green. Even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, till you come to Zoar. Verse 11, and Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and, and Lot journeyed east, 
And what did Abraham do? Just what he said he would do. He went to the dry land. He did it and didn't complain about it and didn't fuss about it. It was his idea. He told him, you, you pick what you want. And Lot <clears throat> made the mistake of his life. Didn't he? You read the rest of the passage. Next thing you know, it says Lot pitched his tent toward Sodom. He's not in Sodom, but it's in his front window. He sees it all the time. Next thing you know, guess where they live? In Sodom. Next thing you know, he loses everything he's got. He lost his wife. He lost the rest of his family. He lost his herds, his flocks. He lost everything. Abram was trying to help him. What are we willing to sacrifice to stop strife? It can be as simple as hushing your mouth. Instead of thinking, I got to tell them what I think. Are you willing to shut up? He was willing to sacrifice all kind of money and herds and stuff. Would you be willing just to be quiet for a couple hours? <laughs> to stop some strife. Would you be willing to yield? Well, they're, well, they're not right. Lot wasn't right. Now, what Lot did wasn't right. Did Abraham go along with it? Yeah, he did. He allowed it. And, you know, right after this, the Lord took him out and said, look, north, south, east, and west, I'm going to give all this to you. <laughs> you didn't lose anything, boy. <laughs> but he did the right thing. That's the kind of man and woman God can bless. They're willing to make great sacrifice to stop strife. Go to 1 Corinthians 1. 1 Corinthians 1, 7. He says, he said, you come behind in no gift. And we see this is 1 Corinthians 1. In the 12th chapter, he talks about the gifts of the Spirit. These people had all kind of manifestations of gifts of the Spirit. Word of knowledge, word of wisdom, discerning of spirits. And he said, uh, verse 9, God is faithful by whom you were called to the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. He's called us to what? Fellowship. First and foremost, fellowship with him and then fellowship with each other. He said, I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it's been declared to me of you, brethren, by them that are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. That's the same word translated strife. He said there's, there's strife among you. One of them says, I'm of Paul. Another one says, I'm of Apollos. Another one says, I'm Baptist. Another one says, I'm, I'm Methodist. Another one said, I'm word of faith. Is Christ divided? What's the answer? No. Was Paul crucified for you? No. no. Were the Baptists crucified for you? No. Were the word of faith crucified for you? No. no. Were you baptized in the name of Kenneth Hagin? No. I hope not. <laughs> what? There's, one, there's only one church. There's only one body of Christ. There's only one spirit, one name of Jesus. There's only one. Skip down to the third chapter, 
1 Corinthians 3. 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 1, he says, I, brethren, could not speak to you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are you able. He said you, uh, if you read Hebrews and other places, by reason of time, you should have developed more than this, basically. He said, I wanted to go into some spiritual things with you, but you're babies. Now here's an interesting thing. They came behind in no good gift. They got the manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit, but they're not spiritually mature. They're babies. Speaking in tongues doesn't mean you're spiritually mature. Having a manifestation of the Spirit doesn't mean you're spiritually mature. Experiencing a healing doesn't mean you're spiritually mature. Why does he say they're babies? Verse 3, you are yet carnal. Why? For there is among you envying and strife. That's the thing he mentions, why they're carnal, why he knows they're carnal. Growing up spiritually means growing up and becoming more like God, like you see these characteristics in Abraham. Growing up spiritually, becoming spiritual instead of carnal, means you develop in love. Being, refusing to get out of fussing and strife shows you are a baby, a spiritual baby. Mature ones refuse to participate in strife. They become like Abraham. They, they're willing to go to great lengths. Not, not to run away and avoid things, I don't mean that, but just control your emotions and your feelings and your words. So that when you see things begin to go off and people begin to get heated and begin to get hot, you don't just join in with them. You stop it. You see where it's going. And you begin to do things to stop the strife. And if you're not willing to do it, you think, well, I just got caught up. I just got so mad. I'm sorry. You're a baby. You're a spiritual baby. You haven't developed. You need to grow up. Strife shows you haven't grown up. Fussing and fighting all the time, including between husbands and wives, shows you're still spiritual babies. If you've been born again, you haven't developed. But developing and growing up means you get to a certain place, you see it's about to go the wrong direction, you stop. You get a hold of yourself. You don't get mad and shout. You get a hold of yourself and say something kind. Right? And even if it's something that should be for you, even if you're right, was Abraham right? Huh? Should he have had the preference over the lamb? But was he gracious and said, you take it? Hmm? How many understand it's very, very dumb to have a fuss and fallout fight with your spouse or family over should we go to McDonald's or Burger King? Huh? <laughs> Dumb. Huh? 
Or to just, just have a breakdown over where we're going to buy a Ford or a Chevy. Someone said, well, now, you know, I'm, I'm a Ford man. My daddy was a Ford man. <laughs> no, but you're not just a Ford man anymore. You're a spirit man. You're supposed to be a spiritual man. And a spiritual man, if he needs to, could drive a Chevy. Or a Dodge. If, if it would keep the peace. Uh-oh. <laughs> Come on, do you think, did it matter to Abraham whether he had grasslands and water for all his flocks? Sure it mattered. Are they going to die without it? He's going to lose big sums of money without it. But was he willing to say, you take it. You want it, you take it. And not be bitter. And not hold a grudge. Gracious. And so when Lot takes all the grass and the water, and they're standing over here in the desert, is Abraham mad and upset? Is he hurt to the core? I took that boy in. And he had nothing. And this is how he treats me. That's how a baby talks. That's how a spiritual infant talks. Because they are feeling dominated. Not spiritual. No. He looked around. He's just enjoying the presence of God. And the Lord shows up and says, look north. Look east. Look west. Look south. He said, I'm giving you all of this, boy. I'm giving it all to you. And there's some real nice water over there if you'll just dig a little bit. And there's some nice water over here if you'll dig a little bit. He said, you're carnal because there's envy and strife among you. He said in the later part of the chapter, he said, let no man glory in men. Because they're saying, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos. All things are yours. This is verse 21. Say it out loud. All things are mine. I don't have to pick and choose. All things are mine. He said, whether Paul, Paul's yours, Apollos is yours, Cephas, Peter is yours, the world, life, death, things present, things to come, all are yours. Isn't that what God told Abraham? It's all yours. Yeah, he took it. But in just a few months, Lot's gone. He's not even in the picture. That's not what God wanted, not what Abraham wanted, but all of it's yours. And you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. Stand on your feet, everybody. Praise be to God. Do we want to be babies our whole life? Or do we want to grow up? Grow up and develop. One of the key components of real spiritual development is you become more like God. And He is love. He is love. Pray this out loud with me if you would. Father God, thank you for loving me, choosing me. Thank you that when my parents, Adam and Eve, fell out of fellowship with you, 
You didn't just write them off. Write them off. And, everybody and everybody after them. You didn't give us up. You didn't give us up. But you had a plan. You had a plan. So, that so that we could be reconciled. And I don't have to give up. On other people that we can be reconciled or that they can be reconciled to you. You didn't give up on me. I won't give up on them. I refuse to be a baby and fuss and fight with everybody and argue and be a taker and not a giver. I'm of the seed of Abraham. I walk in the steps of Abraham. I'm blessed with faithful Abraham. And with your help, I'll be gracious. I'll be kind. I'll be magnanimous. Like him, I'm a giver. A giver child of a giver God. Thank you for giving me peace and strength. Your love is shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Spirit and I yield to that love and it governs me and it guides me and it makes me strong. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Just lift your hands. Praise you, Lord. Lift your hands. Lift your voices. Say, thank you, Lord. 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 Thank you, Lord.